Have you ever had anything that you've said taken out of context, right? Like you did something, you're joking around, I don't know, and then it was like, it was not received well. And you're like, well, uh, and you try to crawfish out and then it just makes it worse. You know, maybe you've been on the other side of that where like the person said, y'all know what I'm talking about. Every social media post out there is taken out of context. I mean, it's, it's why half of us don't even want to post anything anymore because you're like, ha ha, funny joke. And somebody's like, that hurts me personally. And you're like, ah. So just delete, you know? I mean, it's, it's almost like a lose-lose, right? Everything gets taken out of context nowadays. But honestly, it's always been like that. It's nothing new. Uh, things have been taken out of context for many years. Historical events, come on, uh, all sorts of things, conversations, relationships, the same thing happens with scripture. Things get taken out of context, misused, misapplied, and it's actually pretty damaging. Uh, it's damaging to people's faith, to people's theology. They misunderstand Jesus. They misunderstand trials in their life. And because those scriptures don't apply well, it's probably because they were never supposed to apply like that in the first place. So that's why 2 Timothy 2.15 says this. It's why it's so important. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And this should be a command to all of us, an encouragement to all of us, to rightly handle the word of truth. The Bible, the scripture, the holy scripture of God is a very powerful tool in our hand. It's a sword. It's the sword of the spirit, right? And, and it's a very powerful thing, and we should wield it properly. We should appro uh, approach it appropriately. And so today, we're again, we're handling one of these famous verses, one of these famous statements that all of us have heard and probably misused. And like we did last week, I want you to try to finish my sentence, okay? Last week, we said, God will not give you more than you can handle, and then we debunked that. Um, and today, we're going to deal with the, the statement that God will give you the desires of your heart. Will he? Felt like Ron Burgundy right there, you know? Huh? Will he? You know? <laughs> will God give you the desires of your heart? Now, I know right there, some of you, again, like me and my wife, it's like, oh, no. This is, on your, this is over your fridge right now. You know what I'm saying? This is, this is in your bio on Instagram. Like, I mean, this is, your, this, is your, this is your verse. God will give you the desires of your heart. I think wired into each of us is a desire for fulfillment, for purpose, for future, for, for good. That's our desire. And so we read a scripture like this, and it, it hits on, it strikes that chord in our heart of yes, won't he? You know what I'm saying? Like, won't he? I mean, he will give me the desires of my heart, and it sounds great, but God wants me to have what I want. If you say it like that, it doesn't sound as good. And if you just continue to go with that, I, I just need to do all of the right things in order for, to, for him to, to give me the desires of my heart, right? Now, quickly, you've fallen into what we call maybe works-based Christianity or some sort of tit for tat, like, okay, kind of the, the ping pong match between you and God that, God, you will give me what I want as long as I do what you want me to do. And so we've, we've got to got this agreement, this handshake. How many of you guys think we're going to destroy that today? Yeah, it's going to get pretty bloody. All right, here we go. 
This comes from the scripture, Psalm 37, 4. It says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It seems pretty straightforward, right? Delight yourself in the Lord and he's gonna give you the desires of your heart. And what happens is with people who read the scripture at face value, all right, they just take it out of context. It sounds like this. And then what happens is people grab onto the scripture, they begin to teach it, and things get really weird, such as the person that we're about to have here in a moment. She is a international influencer. She is uh, hailed from from actually the state of Mississippi, if I'm not mistaken, and she's got some thoughts to share with us about her favorite scripture, Psalm 37, 4. Let's go ahead and show that video. This is in passage. Do you have a favorite uh, passage from the Bible? Yes, I do. Uh, Psalms 37, 4. Delight thyself. Oh. I love the word delight, don't you? Delight thyself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, what that says to me, Lord has a wide range. What is Lord? Compassion, love, forgiveness, kindness. So you delight yourself in those virtues where the character of the Lord is revealed. Delight thyself in goodness. Delight thyself in love, kindness, and compassion. And you will receive the desires of your heart. Oh, that's Don't you like that? You know. Yeah. Yeah. It says, it says to me, if you, if, you, if you focus on being a force for good, then mm-hmm. goodness will come, which is also the third law of motion, which is also the karma, which is also the golden rule. Amen. Amen. I don't even know why I'm here right now. We should just have Oprah come up here and teach this because she's got a really good understanding of this. Is that what this is? Is it, is it focused on being a force for good and good will come? Is it really karma and the golden rule? Is it just cause and effect? Is that what we're talking about here? Because that's how a lot of people read the scriptures. I mean, what takes place here is a person like this who's got a major voice for, I mean, decades, right? And becomes very new agey and gets all wrapped up in a lot of different, you know, religions and has all of this conglomerate of thinking together, applies scripture in the same way. And everybody, you know, they share it, they post it. And because they're famous, they must be right. And an entire generation of people grow up thinking this way and it's wrong. It's taken straight out of context. What does this verse actually mean? All right, now, whenever you've read this, wor- this verse, you might have not read it exactly like she just read it, okay? It might have not, might not been the same exact thing. However, uh, some interpret this verse as a promise for material things. Materialism, right? God's gonna give me that house. God's gonna give me that relationship, that marriage, whatever it is as long as I do good things. And so here's the deal. God may bless with material things, all right? So we don't wanna say that God is, I believe that God has given me everything that I have. He is the source of everything in my life, right? And I thank him, I'm grateful to him for that. But I also don't believe that just because I have a desire for, again, a material thing that he's that consumed with giving me everything that I want. Some people get caught up in that though, right? But this verse is not really speaking about that. 
Some interpret it as saying that God will change our desires to be like his as we pursue him, right? So we believe that God wants to give us new hearts and desires that reflect his desires. And that's true, and you can interpret that way, and it wouldn't be wrong, but there's even more to the scripture than just that. And so what I wanna do to give you some context of this verse, I just wanna straight up read this verse in the, uh, it's, it's, it's Psalm verse four, uh, 37, verse four, and I wanna read verse one through nine to give us the true context of these verses. And it says this, fret not yourself because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In context, doesn't verse four and how we just talked about it already seem thin? Maybe even a little bit useless because it's not what the scripture is about. This chapter is about what to do when you see wicked people prosper. In context, that's what this whole chapter is about. I'd encourage you to go read this chapter on your own, the rest of it, it's, it's like 40, 40 verses long. But it's talking about what do we do whenever wicked people prosper. Have you ever noticed that it seems like a lot of wicked people prosper? Anybody? Right? Does it seem that way? Does it seem like people who have fought their way to the top in all of the wrong ways are now prospering? And what does that make you feel like? Frustrated? Am I, am I the only one here today? Frustrated? Angry? Come on, man. You see people climb their way to the top. And it's hard to reconcile how wicked people can prosper, how people who do evil things prosper. And David feels the same way in Psalm 37. He writes this chapter to express his desire and our desire at the same time to see justice and righteousness prevail. Did you know that that desire is in us and is a good thing? that we should desire to see justice, that we should desire to see righteousness. And there's an angst inside of us whenever we see a scenario play out and, it, and it's not playing out where the good guy wins. Every movie that we watch, we wanna see the good guy win. Unless you're weird, you know? And you like to see the evil guy win, all right? Or maybe he's a, vigil, a vigilante. Robin Hood, come on, y'all. It's all the same thing. We wanna see the good guys when? And whenever we see the good guy lose, it's not right. It's not just. And it's true. It's a good desire. 
We talked about desires last week, and I'm not going to lean too heavily into exactly how we said it last week. But God puts desires in our heart, desires for good. And there's a lot of wickedness in this world. There's a lot of wickedness in this world. I want you right now to think about the amount of greed and manipulation, right, misuse of power that's going on in our world just right now. Just, just begin to kind of like put a number on it. Try to, try to measure it. If we just come down to just this city alone, <laughs> it's bad enough. Many of you, you know stories about people, they got away with murder. I was talking to a man this past week who his mother was killed in a, uh, an accident, a, a car accident, years and years and years ago. And uh, it was a drunk driver and the son that actually was the one who was driving drunk, his dad was a judge. This is like back, this is 40, 50 years ago, 60 years ago. And he never spent a day in jail. Doesn't that make your skin crawl a little bit? It does. Some of you, you've experienced that type of thing in your own life. I know my dad, uh, actually my, my grandpa, his his dad was killed in a, in a gambling, um, bad gambling, like illegal gambling ring, and everybody knew who did it, and nobody ever did anything. Those types of abuses of power and, and injustices, the political corruption that we see. Come on, right now we got a bunch of elections going on, right? Isn't that fun? Aren't elections fun? I can't wait till next year. I'm real excited. You hear these stories and you're like, that's not right. But some people are just untouchable, right? They've been around a place for a long time. So-and-so knows so-and-so. Got a little business deal over here. A little hush-hush thing over here. Play it out for 30, 40, 50 years. Multiple generations. There's some people that just are untouchable. Did you know that that's wickedness? It's wicked. It's not supposed to be like that. But it is, and it's discouraging, and that's what David's writing about right here, about people who are being taken advantage of. Some of you have personally experienced injustices like this. You've been taken advantage of financially. You've been taken advantage of with someone in power over you who abused you emotionally. Some of you have been in marriages where you were emotionally abused and you felt like you lost part of who you are lost your identity, and you felt like there was nothing you could do. There's, very, uh, there's a whole lot of people who have been sexually abused in, in our world and are continuing to be sexually abused. The stats are that 25% of women have been sexually abused, 17% of men, and 75% of that abuse happens below the age of 17. Do the math in this room right now. Many of you, that, that's your story. For some of you, it hasn't happened to you, but it's happened to people that you're close to. It's wrong, it's wicked, it's evil. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And David speaks to those who have experienced these types of things and he says, God will have his vengeance. He says that justice, the justice of God will prevail. The angst that you feel, the frustration that you feel, the pain that you feel, God will have his vengeance about that injustice. 
The problem is that we want to be the dispenser of justice. Right? We see it, we identify it, and we want to be the one to fix it. The problem is that when we take justice into our own hands, we often become bitter, we hold grudges, and end up, end up in destruction. We end up destroyed ourselves. But it's so difficult, right? Because it's the right thing to do. Now, we have a justice system that takes care of a lot of things, but itself can be unjust. Why? It's ran by people. And people are not perfect. People aren't always right. People always aren't just. But whenever we take these things into our own hands, something in our family, when we take it into our own hands and we try to create the justice, it can get messy. There's a story in the book of 2 Samuel and King David, who this psalm is attributed to, his family was really messed up, all right? Really messed up. And he had two sons. One was Amnon, one was Absalom. And they were half-brothers. And Absalom's full sister, Amnon's half-sister, her name was Tamar. And Amnon really liked Tamar. He was attracted to her. And things were a little bit different back then. But he wanted to be with Tamar. And he burned with lust for her. And you can go read the story, 2 Samuel chapter 13. But what ends up happening is Amnon rapes his sister, Absalom's full sister. And King David didn't do anything about it. For two years, Absalom was enraged by this and eventually took it in his own hands and killed Amnon, which in one sense was the right thing to do. The law is this. this is, somebody needs to carry this out. Absalom takes into his own hands and he kills Amnon. The crazy thing is about this story as it plays out is that Absalom ends up being killed himself because he overthrows his own father's kingdom. There was a root in Absalom that you could see from the beginning of rebellion, taking things into his own hands, stepping into the position that he was not supposed to be, and it eventually ruined him. And there's so many stories out there of this happening where something happens to someone and they get angry and they get bitter and they hold a grudge and they don't forgive and it ends up ruining them. And it's difficult because they're not the one that did anything wrong. I've seen this happen in marriages many times. One spouse offends the other one, maybe through abuse or through, uh, through, through cheating on them, being dishonest, whatever the case is. And the one who receives the offense ends up being the one that has to deal with the most bitterness, the most pain, the most hurt. It's wrong, but it's the way that the enemy works. What does he want to do? He wants to kill, he wants to steal, he wants to destroy. That's, his, that's what he does. And so what happens is whenever we step into that role, 
we begin to play out what the enemy has for us and for the other person to steal their joy, to kill their future, to destroy their life. And it ends up hurting everyone. This is why scripture is so clear about vengeance. Leviticus 19 says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against any of your people. Deuteronomy, vengeance is mine, says God, I will repay. Proverbs 20, do not say, I will avenge this evil. Wait on the Lord and he will save you. Proverbs 29, do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will repay the man according to his work. All throughout scripture, there's many more. God consistently reminds us, slow your roll. I know what you want. I know what desire you have inside of you. But there is a proper way for this to be done. Now, again, some things are for us to handle right now. You know what I'm talking about? There's things that, that, what I'm not preaching today is complete passivity and just let everything go. No. There are, we have laws, we have a legal system, we have many things that we are the person who steps in and creates change. We step into our family whenever there's something wrong and we step in. However, we must step out with the right heart. We cannot step out motivated by fear or motivated by anger or motivated by bitterness because we're not handling in, with the right heart. Maybe, the, maybe you've been there before and there's something that's taken place and you, you, were, you knew you couldn't go talk to the person. You knew you couldn't step out right then because you knew that your heart wasn't right. You, do, you knew if I, if I jump into this conversation right now, I'm gonna say some stuff. I'm gonna react in ways it's not holy. Come on, you know, I gotta, I gotta take a couple days. Now that's wisdom and that's tact. It doesn't mean that you never handle it. It just means that it's not the right time. But there are other situations that are not being handled and guess what? They may never be handled. They may sit there in your life till the end of this life. And that's the stuff we struggle with. That's the stuff, right? There's nothing that you can do, right? Your, your palms get sweaty, your jaw clenches. That's what we're talking about. The point, again, is that whenever we take justice into our own hands, we step into the enemy's role in our life and in the other people's life. It's just not fair, right? But if we believe that God will have his vengeance, if we believe the scripture that we just read, then what do we do in the meantime? What do we do right now? I'm looking out right now and I'm thinking about every single person's life and every single person's story. And this is your question. Some of you have been sitting on something for 20 years. And every time you think about it, it comes up like it was the day that it happened. What do we do whenever that's the life that we're living in? What do we do whenever we don't wanna be bitter but it's very hard not to be? David's instructions to us is that when wickedness prevails, trust and obey God and he will vindicate you. What do you do in the meantime? You don't fear. You don't fear those who are wicked and are prevailing. But guess what? He says you also don't envy them. 
You know what's weird about, about people that are uh, wicked and are prevailing and are seemingly prospering? You know what's weird about it? Is that we can begin to actually envy them. We can actually start, we start, man, we see their big house, we see their, their successful business, we see whatever. We see that and we know how they got that and they did it in a, in a wrong way. And we're like, hey, maybe that's just the game we gotta play. Maybe that's just the way that we gotta do it. And guess what? I want some of that. I want a little bit of that success. So I'll play the game too. We begin to envy. He says, don't do that. He says, instead, trust and delight in God. Be faithful. Be faithful and patiently wait for God. Some of you, it's like, I've been waiting 20 years. Patiently wait. And last, it says this, the instruction that he says is don't be angry. Now, you can be angry and sin not. We know that the scripture says that. And so again, I'm not speaking about this passive type of approach to, to injustice in your life and, and things that have happened. I'm not talking about just sit there and, well, you know, hey, God's got it. Because that's not the way that it usually goes. There's not one time in my life that I felt like somebody got something on me, right? Over on me. And, 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 and I just sat there and was just like, well, God's got it. I'm just not built like that, all right? Maybe you are, congratulations, I'm proud of you, you know? I'm, I'm a little bit more aggressive than that. I wanna talk it out. I wanna get to the bottom of it. I wanna figure it out. I wanna fix it. Come on, let's go. And so for people like, like me, when I see be patient for the Lord, that challenges me deeply. When I see be angry and sin not, that challenges me. Anybody else with me? Well, all right, thank you. Encourage me a little bit in that. <laughs> be faithful in, what's, in the time that seems to be the delay of God's judgment. Because if you really believe what the word of God says, we really believe that God will vindicate every injustice. Every person who has done something that has harmed someone, they will pay. But also, there are some people who've harmed someone and they repent. They repent. And before God, God's grace is sufficient for them and his mercy is renewed. And God forgives them. And guess who's left needing to do the same thing? You. It's hard. I don't want to demean your situation. I know some of you have, you have, the, you have the capital situations. You, know, you have the big ones in your life. And, and, and you're like, well, hey, it's easy to do if somebody get a, a fender bender with somebody. You know, that's traffic. What about if they've destroyed you from whenever you were five years old? I know. Sin is terrible. It's wicked. It destroys. But don't fear. Don't get angry. Wait patiently in what seems to be the delay of God's just, just judgment. The crazy thing about this story, uh, about the fact that Psalm 37 is written by, by David, the fact that we just talked about his sons and, and the violence and the, 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 you know, the, the injustices that were taking place in their family, the, the crazy thing is, is that two chapters before this story in 2 Samuel of Amnon and Absalom, David himself was the one who stood in the place of the person who abused his power 
misuse his authority. And what he does is he takes a woman named Bathsheba for himself. The man, her, her husband was at war where David should have been. He takes Uriah, brings him off the battlefield, talks to him, tries to get him to be with his wife because Bathsheba's pregnant. And Uriah had so much honor, so much integrity that he would not go to be with his wife. And he goes back to battle and David tells his commanders to put Uriah at the front of the line where he knew he was gonna die. And he did. David stood in the place of the one, of the offender. And because of that, it riddled his family. He ends up getting confronted by God. He tried to cover it up. He did the very thing that he's writing this, this verse about. There's a lot of people that knew what David did. They ended up finding out, right? Like, oh yeah, it's King David, the harp guy. I know what he did. I saw what he did. I heard what he did. It was injustice, but he was still king. I believe he wrote this psalm both as one who sees it, one who had been, you know, unjustly treated, and one who himself had treated people wrong. And for all of us in this place today, we probably fit into all three of those as well. We've seen it, it's happened to us, or we've done it ourselves. So we sit on our throne in our position and we point our finger at wicked people and we say, how are they prospering? The problem is with that is that we have to turn that finger around and point to ourselves. Because what we do is we compare wickedness. We compare evil, we compare sin. Well, I know I struggle. I mean, I know, I lie every now and then, you know. I mean, I, I do, I do this, I've done that, I've done this, but, but, but they, they, it's way worse. It's way, they're doing the bad stuff. Not realizing that all sin is what put Jesus on the cross. The little, the big, come on, all of our comparisons, all of it is rooted in evil. And so whenever you really zoom out, I know that there's things that are more devastating to us in this life, but all of it is devastating to God. It's evil, it's wicked, it's sin. And we've gotta realize that we need to be forgiven just as much as the person that we think is so evil and, and, and doesn't deserve forgiveness. We're in the same boat. And I know that there's a spectrum and I know that, that some things hurt more than others but we need God just as much as they do. And that takes a lot of spiritual humility to say. And I, I'm sure there's some of you in this room that you have experienced what I'm talking about today and you found yourself in a place in your life that you can actually pray for and pray blessings over the person who destroyed your life. You found yourself at a place where you, can, you have forgiven and you have released and you can hear their name and there's not that anger and that fire that comes up inside of you. And I wanna encourage those of you who have that story to please speak that story. Please let somebody know about how God has, has maybe vindicated you already or, or maybe you're waiting for that one day 
but, but not with bitterness in your heart. Where you're praying for that person or that group of people to actually prosper. Come on. I was somewhere a couple weeks ago and that's what somebody was talking about. They were like, I'm not talking about this, this forgiveness where you just kind of don't talk to the person anymore and just kind of ignore them. And just that. They said, I'm talking about the kind of forgiveness where you pray a blessing over that person. Come on, everybody take a deep breath. That's, it's difficult. It's difficult. But this is what the word of God, this is what the word of God does to us, y'all. Challenges us presses us into things that are difficult. Now, here's the deal. We have a desire for justice. We have a desire for righteousness. And it's a good desire. But as we delight ourselves in the Lord, he'll give us the desires of our heart eventually. This verse is not what it was originally uh, you know, taken as. This is, this is not exactly what Oprah was talking about. This is not karma. It's the exact opposite. This is the gospel. That's what we believe. This is what sets us apart as believers, the gospel. This is why we as Christians don't react like the world reacts to injustice. This is why we don't react in the same way to things that happen in our family. This is how we have peace. This is how we have love in the, middle of, in the midst of a storm. This is how we forgive when others don't. Because this is our standard. 